0: I know, what it, I know what it feels like to look 35. And people are always like, are you 35? And I'm like, no, I'm not 35, I'm 54. And they're like, you look 35. And I was like, I don't know. So I don't understand what, you know, I mean, I, I guess maybe because I look a little younger than him, he's upset, I don't know. But it's just, it's one of those things. Uh, that, that's That's what I'm usually thinking when I'm back here like that. Actually, it's interesting. I, it reminds me of like high school graduation. Woo! <laughs> and it's it's a little weird doing that in church, I guess. Um, maybe I'm showing my age. It's it's also really joyful. Hey Jonas, I told a great joke about you. Talk to your friends after service. Um, but it probably is relatively appropriate for us to take great joy and and, and genuine, not just cheering our friends on but being really excited about people coming and being a part of the body um, just let's always remember that the excitement the woohoo is is so much deeper than that it's every time someone is baptized we commit to be there for them I, I just as I was sitting back there thinking and um, I don't know how much I was praying but I was definitely thinking right um, the two are not synonymous that's another sermon but I was just thinking to myself, maybe it's appropriate for us to spend some time to say, yeah, and we commit to you as you commit to us. So I love all the excitement. It truly is a, a pleasure and a joy and a, and a responsibility that we have to one another, us to you, you to us. That sermon was free. This is the one I, wanna, this is the one I prepared for today. So if we take a step back into last week's message, Um, Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will tie you and carry you to where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him, follow me. And that's what starts the dialogue with today between Peter and Jesus, um, John continues to explain what's going on there, and a lot of commentators wonder if this is John describing it or if it's even something that a disciple has written after John's gone on, um, dealing with this question about what happens to the disciples. And it's one thing, last week, I really do believe this is what Jesus is telling Peter you have failed me in the past, but you will die faithful. And so, and then he describes the kind of death he's going to have, which is not you're going to grow old and just fall asleep one night and then wake up in my arms the next day, Peter. It's not that. It's You're going to be taken to a place that you don't really want to go, but you will die. You will glorify God in your death. And I'm sure what you and I would say to Jesus at that moment is, woo-hoo? <laughs> Yay? Really? And then in moments like that, when we have to come to grips with our lot in life, the circumstances that God in his sovereignty has brought us to and is now leading us through. We look around. Why do I have to go through this? What about... So I thought I would just share with you, I don't know the last time that you kind of did this. Um, We know what happened to Judas, the Bible records that, so I know exactly what happened to Judas. We know what happens to James, the brother of John, because the Bible records it in Acts chapter 12. The other ones, it's left up to history, which I would say then it is most likely true. It's not the same as scripture, but it's most likely true. And so here is what history, what the tradition of the church says happened to each of the disciples. And I'll I'll do it in the order. You know, Jesus loves to talk about the first is the last, last is first. It's interesting. Every time that you Google this idea, uh, they always start with Peter and then they go on to, you know, maybe his brother or John. And then at the very end, what's his name again? It doesn't matter. So I'm going to do it the way Jesus would want. Matthias, he's the one that replaced Judas. One tradition records that he was stoned by cannibals in Georgia. Not the, not the Georgia that has Atlanta, a different Georgia. Stoned by cannibals in the country of Georgia. Another tradition says that he was stoned by Jews in Jerusalem, and then after he was stoned, he was beheaded. Simon, not Peter, Simon the Zealot. There are two different accounts. He was either crucified in Samaria, so on mission, or he was sawed or sawn in two. Cut into two with Thaddeus, who's another one of the, the 12. You might know him as Judas, but not Iscariot. So speaking of Thaddeus or Judas, son of James, he was cut in two um, by a, the, the, the sword that was actually used as kind of one of those, looks like a beheading kind of a sword, cut into two pieces. James, not the brother of John, but the son of Alphaeus, he was preaching in Jerusalem and he was stoned to death by the Jews and then buried beside the temple. Matthew, who wrote the gospel, um, he was preaching in Parthia, which is kind of where we would consider modern day Iran, and then traveled to Ethiopia. And so there are different, different accounts in terms of what his, uh, how he most likely died. It is most likely that he was killed in Ethiopia, preaching the gospel and killed to death with sword. Thomas, obviously he didn't spend all of his time doubting. Thomas actually traveled to India and there he was stabbed to death with spears when he refused to bow down and worship a false god. Bartholomew, also in India. Matthew, Bartholomew, and Thomas, all in India. In India, he was at length, this is the quote that the church history records, he was at length cruelly beaten and then crucified by the impatient idolaters. Philip. History records that he actually led a prominent um, politician named a proconsul, was his title. After he led the proconsul's wife to the Lord, the proconsul was so upset, he had him killed and executed. Philip. John, the one who wrote this gospel. It's interesting. John, um, there's no record of him being martyred, Instead, and it's a little bit of why this account was given, he lived a long, long, long life. There is, there is a story that is told in church history that one time he was taken into the Colosseum and was tried uh, to be killed by, by boiling him, and it failed to happen, and uh, the, the people that were there were so amazed by it that many of them converted to Christianity. Don't know if that's true. It's, it's an account. Um, But most likely, what we know about John is that he is on the island of Patmos. It is in the late 90s, which means he's probably in his 90s, which, by the way, makes him a teenager when he's following Jesus, probably late teens. And he lives his entire life, probably not knowing exactly what happened to all of the disciples that were with him, but I'm sure he heard word and he actually watched his brother die. So that's John's life. James, this would be the brother of John, we know about him. I'll read to you from Acts chapter 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them, and he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And He, he sees how excited, he, the, 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 the wonderful response from the Jewish people, and so he grabs Peter too and imprisons him and is about to execute him. And I'm wondering at that moment in light of this account if, John is, if, Jesus, or if, sorry, if Peter is thinking to himself this is what Peter told me or this is what Jesus told me about this is what Jesus told me about and it wasn't. He's going to have many more years and he's going to try he's going to be beaten a number of times and then he's going to travel to Rome and that is where he's going to be dealt with but Andrew the brother of Peter was martyred by crucifixion in the Greek city of Patras around 60 AD. And just like his brother, who is famously known for how he was killed, um, the, the cross, which kind of functions like this, both Andrew and Peter did not feel it was, according to tradition, did not feel that it was appropriate for them to die in the same way. They didn't deserve that. So they wanted to be, it's not totally upside down. It's not an inverted cross. It's more of like something like this, and their head would be down here. And that's how Andrew is killed in around 60 AD. And then Peter, crucified upside down, most likely killed by Emperor Nero around 64 AD. Um, him, and, him and Paul, uh, who was probably beheaded, kind of a similar, uh, similar style of execution um, for criminals, crucifixion, beheading. And, and this is what happened to the disciples So it's interesting that this is kind of how the Gospel of John concludes. Jesus is telling his disciple, Peter, that he needs to follow him. And in the midst of this conversation, Peter responds in the same way that many of us would respond. Here's, I guess, kind of the question that just swirls around us. Would you want to know like, how the rest of your life is going to go? I think many of us don't like the uncertainty, in a way, it almost unsettles us. Like somehow, if we knew it would be better. Really? During COVID, I became almost fixated on this particular psalm that, that describes a wisdom that says, I did not, I did not take my attention and dwell on things that were too like big for me to know. And so I quieted my spirit. I I learned that there are things that are above my ability to understand or appreciate. And so, what I did, the psalmist writes, is I quieted myself with what I know instead of concerning myself with things that are too great for me. Is that why you're so anxious? Is that why we're so anxious? I just want to know. I just want to know. I want to know what's going to happen, and I want to know. And we think think that by knowing, we will find peace. We've never known as much about ourselves and as much about our futures as today, and has it created, I know it's not a one-to-one correlation, but has it created peace for you? And it seems like a, this wonderful layer of Scripture that we find throughout is that God gives us what we need, when we need it, and part of that is to design in the, in the way that God has organized the world and the way that God has organized you, all of you, in the unique ways of you-ness. Trust me. Trust me with when you are born. Have you ever thought about that? God has a plan. Trust me, where you are born. I think most of us kind of consider that to almost be, I hear Christians talk like this. Man, sure, sure was lucky to be born when I was. Sure was lucky to be Um, I'm not trying to get weird on this. My wife hates it when I, I mean, I think I've got it out of my vocabulary. Andrea loses her mind whenever she hears people, particularly me and the boys, talk about luck. It's not luck. It's blessed. It is God's goodness to us. It's not luck. So God has a plan and purpose that has brought you to this point. The Bible teaches that. And then God is going to see us through. Like, do you trust him? I think many of us find ourselves like Peter here in chapter 21, verse 21. After he's heard this news, um, here's what's going to happen to you. Peter does what you and all I do and we hear bad news about us. We kind of look around. Okay, I just, I just heard some bad news about me. I mean, I, I know Jesus was trying to kind of like, give me some encouragement, but that's pretty heavy stuff, Jesus. And so what we, lo- what we do naturally is we just kind of look around. And so he does. Look at verse 21. I love this. When Peter saw him, this is kind of in the midst of this conversation, he says to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Which really, like when, it, when you hear it at first term or at face value, it seems to be saying, like, what about John? I don't think he's just curious about John. He's just heard some pretty amazing words about himself. And so he just, well, what about John? Like, what's going to happen to him? And it's that comparison that we have. That on the one hand is human. The the problem is, is that there's a a humanness to that, that left to ourselves becomes very broken. Because we're broken. And so in reality, I know it looks like what he's saying is, what about him? I think if I can, and I'm not, I I don't think I'm crazy If I read between the lines rightly, I think what Peter is saying is, but what about me? Even though he already knows about him. It's the what about me after you know about you and you're not happy with the what about you. So then you try to say what about them or why them, but you really mean why me? You ever done that? Like, why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to be the one that struggles with this? Why do I have to? And, and again, we, we, try to, we try to make ourselves feel relatively good by in our, in our own thinking, saying, reasoning. Others have it worse. I'm not saying I have it the worst, but a lot of people have it better. But I, I swear to you, I'm really not complaining. But, which by the way is another way of saying I'm going to complain a little bit. And I I don't even know if it's, I've been thinking a lot about this. I don't know if it's necessarily wrong. It's so, it's dangerous. It's human. It's like a lot of our emotions. Like I know why you're angry, but you know how dangerous that can be. Like I know why you're envious. Do you understand how dangerous that can be? Like I understand that the news has now brought you to a point where you only can see what is happening to you. I, part of that is just human. And do, but do you realize how dangerous that can be? And, and that's how John, in, in a sense, I know this isn't exactly all that John is trying to do because I, I think what, what Jesus and the conversation that Jesus and Peter are having here at the end is to draw attention to who Peter is, to his responsibility in front of him, that God is going to sustain him through it all. And that as he finds himself in a very human experience, dealing with the circumstances of his own life in relation to everybody around him, he needs to keep his attention on Jesus. Like, I know you're gonna wanna look away back to Jesus. Like, I know the circumstances are gonna cause you to look around and what back to Jesus. And that's truly the Christian experience. As we go through life, and Jesus does a great job, (laughs) does a great job of helping every single one of us with relatively general statements. This is how you need to treat one another? Yeah, I, I need to do that. And this is what the blessed life looks like I, I should I should follow that, and I should I should admire that more. But then, when we begin to break that down, like in real time, in your not just your nine to five, but every moment, we find ourselves constantly overwhelmed and distracted by our own circumstances. And I would say a lot of that, a lot of people, when they're just describing their struggle with God, is that interplay between, well, what about John? Because I've just heard news about me, and, well, why? And Jesus kind of gives an answer to that. What we actually see throughout the, the gospel of John is this constant realignment. A woman at a well is deeply troubled but I have water for you because this is who I am look at me and a whole crowd of people get fed and Jesus is going I, I, I don't even think you fully understand what I did here some of you just want more food but I'm telling you I am the bread of life look at me I am the door like I am the true vine remain remain in me By the way, this is how they're going to treat me, and so this is how they're going to treat you. But I want you to remember that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Look at me. Stay focused on me. Which is something you tell someone. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. When you're worth it. Like when you're really worth it. And when those that you love and those that you care for are truly easily distracted by the concerns of life, by the genuine and very real problems that each of us have. And Jesus is constantly redirecting us. And here's the interesting part not away from our problems. But being able to look at Him so that we can find the perspective we need to endure our lives under God's constant provision, protection, and care. Do you trust Him? No. We sometimes say that. I just don't. Look at what Jesus says in verse 22. So Jesus makes it very clear. Trust God, trust me, Jesus says, being God, trust God with your life and all of your circumstances. And that's not a decision that you just make and then go on to the next one. That is one that you constantly have to reassess and remake, make again. To look at your life and in the moment, no, nope, I'm going to choose to trust God with my life and my circumstances exactly where I am right now. That's what Jesus says to John in, in verse 22. Jesus, when, when Peter's like, well, what about him? Look at verse 22. Jesus says, if I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? Now, what's interesting is, I think I have read that. I've, I've, I think I've kind of misread a lot of this. I think a lot of my uh, early readings of Jesus, that th- there's a lot of like just scolding. <laughs> Why, are you, Almost like the second grade teacher. Quit worrying about everybody else and look at yourself. Right? Mr. Gig in the seventh grade. Jim, quit worrying about everybody else and just worry about yourself. Like I don't think that's what he's doing, although, although that's part of it. But I, I, the more that I look at this, The more that I genuinely see Jesus as offering a corrective, and I'm not saying Jesus is being really, really sweet, but he's being more helpful than we ever give him credit for. It's not just a slap of the wrist. It's a redirection of the head. Don't wander. He's asking him, I think, a very real question. Peter, I want you to think about this for a moment. If I want John to stay until I come back, I want, to, I want to answer me, Peter. I want to have an honest conversation with you. You asked what about John. So obviously you're concerned about what's going to happen to John and what's going to happen to you. And, and so you want to have a conversation with me as God of the universe about how this is all going to work out. Or can we have this conversation, Peter, and, and quickly you realize, wow, I wish I was just trying to walk on the water. I'm in over my head. And again, I don't think Jesus is rebuke. I don't think this is rebuke language. Like Peter, I just want, think about this. If I want him to stay, what is that to you? You ever tried to answer that question? With the circumstances of your life? Just wanting them to be different? At some level, there's just no way there's not a lot in this room that are somewhere on the spectrum from really upset about their lot to almost uh, overly excited about it and you just don't know who to give credit to. But I'm in church, so I'll just say God. Instead of genuinely trusting him in all circumstances, how did you get here? Jesus is asking Peter, very honestly, who is the one making decisions here on how these things are going to play out? Well, you are, Jesus. You think you can do a better job, Peter? Well, no. Well, the answer is yes, but I know I'm supposed to say no right now. Isn't that true? Don't you think if you were in charge of your life, it would be better than where God has brought you? And some of the final words that Jesus gives to Peter, this redirection of the head, what is it to you? Should I choose this for John or Thomas? You follow me. Trust me in all of your life and with all of your circumstances. And I think that's the message of John's gospel. Those who truly have life and have it abundantly. Those who've recognized that Jesus is the lamb that comes and takes away the sins of the world. Those who believe in him who now have eternal life have learned what it means to trust Jesus And not generically when it's all said and done. But in very real moments, in very real time. Like right now, in this moment, trusting him. Tomorrow when you wake up, trusting him. At the end of your day, trusting him. In some sense, not even knowing by God's grace. Not even knowing specifically what's going to happen. It's 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 interesting. I have a, a had a close friend who had a very difficult thing happen with his family. I may have shared this story with you before, but um, I thought about it a lot this week. It reminded me to actually pray for them. And it, it, after the family kind of went through it, and it was truly a complicated, very difficult, difficult time for the entire family. Had some very honest conversations with him down the road, and he said, "Yeah, like this this tragic experience that happened has just really." made my walk with God really, really complicated. It just so hurt it and disturbed it. And I, I, in my moment of honest conversation and our relationship was strong enough that I could say this and this was years later, I said to him, the part that I just find to be so convicting is you and I knew stuff like this happened to people all the time and it never bothered us. Like we felt bad for them but it never destroyed us. It was only when it happened to you. Which by the way is is, is one of the reasons why we can try to empathize. But if you cut yourself, no matter how hard I try, I can't feel it. And I don't even know if I was ever designed to feel it. Instead, I think it's best that there is this shared compassion that exists and then in the moment, both of us, you bleeding, me watching you bleed lovingly, redirect our attention to Jesus. Not just looking around who else has been cut or thanking God it wasn't you, but but realizing the Lord has this that's the beauty of the end of this gospel. Jesus has, Jesus has you right where he wants you. And your job, your responsibility is to what? What does it say? Follow him. Trusting him. Man, that's hard, isn't it? I, I think the apostle Paul figured it out. Um, it's interesting that I, I want to end with two, two quotes that the Apostle Paul gives that can help us with this. And what I find really fascinating about both of these quotes is they're written by an apostle who, who simultaneously said, um, and I'm just going to trust him that he was right in this. Paul liked saying, or at least says a couple of times, man, I've worked harder and I've gone through more than anybody else. And what's fascinating is he doesn't seem to be complaining and maybe that's because when he got the call the first time, do you remember what the call said about him? And I, I'm, I'm assuming even though it was told to somebody else, I bet he said to Paul, hey, by the way, the Lord told me, you're going to endure, endure a lot for his name's sake." Which, by the way, is what Jesus told all the disciples, so maybe they shouldn't and they weren't shocked when they died the way that they did. Or, hear me, lived the way that they lived before they died the way that they did. 1 Corinthians chapter three, you can turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter three, verses three through seven. This is a little bit of a different context, but you really get a sense of how the Apostle Paul understands himself and how the, what the Apostle Paul considers himself to be, which we seldom appreciate. Literally, we come to faith in Jesus Christ and then we go on living as though nothing had really changed. It's still my life, it's still my future, it's still my retirement, it's still my stuff, it's still my kids. How did God ever let this happen to my kids? They're not your kids. Can you believe this happened to my life? Um, We don't have lives like that. The Apostle Paul gets this. Here's what he says, I'm gonna cut off, I'm gonna start halfway through verse three. Paul makes this accusation, you are still worldly, which I have to confess, I am sometimes. When I'm quickly distracted, when I'm quickly, what about him and what about her and why do I have to? That's a worldly approach to this, which by the way, is on, on, at first glance, understandable. And then the gospel should redirect us. I don't know how you. I don't know how much you need to feel bad for those very normal and natural feelings. It's where we go from there that becomes so dangerous. You are still worldly, for since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? For whenever someone says, "I belong to Paul" or another, "I belong to Apollos," are you not acting like mere humans? Basically these people are trying to gain value or worth by attaching to the right group of people. Cool by proxy. Paul says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? And you guys, you're the, you're the up there ones. You're the, you're the awesome ones. Like I'm just a regular person. You are amazing. And he says, they are servants through whom you believed and each has a role that the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God's the one that gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. There he draws attention. Why are you so easily distracted by the things of this world, and look at them, and look at them? No, 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 look at God. We're gonna end our service today by laying hands on and sending out two young couples to different parts of the world. Not knowing exactly what's going to happen to them. I didn't send them. I didn't. As a church, we're we're gonna pray for them and the Lord called them. He's the one doing the work. The Lord's the one who sent them. I think we should be grateful for those who are serving so faithfully But we should always remember, it is God is the one doing the work. You and I are simply a special kind of nothing. That's what we are. We're a special kind of nothing. Special enough that Jesus died for us. And let us be reminded that in and of myself, I'm nothing. Trust God with all of your life and with all of life's circumstances. Lastly, one other example from the Apostle Paul from Philippians chapter one. I went here and I, when, I, when, I, when I thought of this text as a, as a good parallel, um, I, could, I didn't know where to begin. I didn't know where to end it. I almost wanted to read all of Philippians chapter one. But I finally came down to these verses beginning in verse 12. Listen to the mindset of this apostle who considered himself to be the least by being the greatest, which means he's the least, which he's the greatest. But by that, by being the greatest, means he's the least, which makes him the greatest. Only in the kingdom of God do you have an economy like that. So I like beginning with Matthias and ending with Simon. Here's what Paul says. He's in prison. He'll talk about that here in a second. But you need to know the context is in prison. The Apostle Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what happened to me, being in prison, you know, has actually advanced the gospel. Think about that. Like what happens to our lives. How many of you, I want you to genuinely raise your hand. Drew, this is a real question, so I'm allowed to ask these, right? If it's a real question. He doesn't like it I just throw it around. How many of you? But that's a real question. How many of you have been deeply inspired by watching another follower of Jesus Christ endure significant pain and hardship? Raise your hand if you've been blessed by it. Yep, I knew it. Paul says, what has happened to me actually advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord for my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly, to be sure, because Paul knows people. Some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, those who are doing it rightly, knowing that I am an appointed for the defense of the gospel, the others, meaning those who do not do it rightly, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. And for that reason, I am angry at God in them, and I'm ready to quit. I'm writing a book about it. Disappointment with God from the Apostle Paul. Nope. What does he say? Look at verse, verse 18 be a great title of a book. What does it matter? Isn't that what Jesus says to Peter? Hey Peter, listen, I got all this. Like I have all the lives in the world and I'm, I'm moving and you think you can do a better job than me, but you can't. You have no idea. There's a movie that's gonna come out in a lot of years called Bruce Almighty. If you could just see that movie, Peter, you would understand how complicated it is to be me. It's funny, that, that movie doesn't even come close to describing the complexity of it. But the principle is true. You think you could figure this out? You think you could handle this? You really wanna know? What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I'll continue to rejoice. Let's look at this phrase. Because I know this will lead to my salvation. And again, that word when properly understood is not my get to heaven, it's my salvation. It is my wholeness, it is my rescue, it is my health. It is all of who I am. I am growing into a deeper understanding of who I am and who I'm not, and what I have to do and what I don't have to worry about. And I am finding peace in the plan that God has for me. As you are sitting there this morning, how much peace do you have with not just your lot in life, but where God has brought you from and to. Uh, This is a whole other sermon, but I think so much of the brokenness in our culture, specifically in the last five to 10 years, is based upon unchecked, uncritically uh, thought through issues of envy and greed. In the name of justice, It's interesting, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 said to some, really, some people in some really hard circumstances, here's what the Apostle Paul said. Listen, if you can make your life a little bit better, sure. Be content with your circumstances. That is so un American. That is so un Western. That is so 2020. What do you mean, be content with our circumstances? Um, be content with your circumstances. Right now, some of you are kind of almost mad at me for saying we should be content in our you don't know my circumstances. I didn't say I did. Because here's what he said: Jesus is enough. Jesus is more than your circumstances. Well, easy for you to say. No, it's not. It's never been. I've always vacillated between why does my life have to be harder than everybody else except for those that it's not as hard as and man, my life is better than most people. And I find myself vacillating and both of them are broken. Look at me, Jim. Follow me. Compassion. Care for them. Follow me. So as we leave this gospel, may we be strengthened and encouraged that Jesus is truly enough, not that you're enough, but that he is enough and that he has you. I wanna go around the table this morning and I wanna do something that I usually preach against and that's this. I want you to think about yourself. Usually when you gather around the table, It's don't just think about yourself. Pay pay attention to where you're at. You're with your brothers and sisters. And so when the Bible describes examining ourselves as we eat and drink, the examining ourselves is usually, am I causing problems or strife with those around me? Because we are about to eat a unifying meal. And I need to be aware of that. And that is all true. But for this morning, I want to do this. I want you to remember that Jesus Christ has you. Don't worry about John. Don't worry about Peter. Don't even worry about yourself. Just know that Jesus has you. Do you know that he has you? Right where he wants you? Not that you're handling it perfect, I'm not. But do you know that you are right where God wants you to be? Jesus is enough, more than enough for anyone in any circumstance at any time. If there's one thing I know to be true, it's that. And my heart is just trying to catch up to my mind. Therefore, when Jesus took that bread and gave it to his disciples, he gave it to each of them. So here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna say... And this bread was given to, and then I want you to say your name. You ready? This bread was given to Jim Johnson. Let us take it and eat. And this cup representing the blood of Jesus was given to Jim Johnson. Let us take it and drink.